I have some exciting news before we start. I just launched the Red Cheeks Academy with the first ever online workshop where you can learn about ethical production of intimate scenes. If you work with intimacy on screen in any capacity, this is for you. The workshop is for people who want to become intimacy coordinators. These can be cinematographers, producers, directors, or sex workers and performers who want to benefit from their experience. If this sounds interesting to you, head up to academy.redchicks.org to submit your application for one of the first sessions. And don't forget to check out the FAQ page with info about scholarships. Now, let's start with the podcast. This is Red Chicks, and I'm Isabella. So, through all the career, like all the, I think, 20 years in the industry or so, uh, you uh, probably came across different kinks. Are there any... <laughs> are there any that stood out? Hit me. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And almost it's been too long to even remember when things did stand out. I mean... I think I, 2004 maybe was my first like AVN show and I was walking around the, the show floor and I noticed there was a gentleman suspended on hooks, you know, through his skin from the ceiling. I was like, oh wow, that's different. And now that wouldn't even turn my head. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I wish I had a really good answer. It is really, really hard to to stand out to me at, at this think, point. Yeah, I think because you are so long in the industry that it's <laughs> hard to remember those different things. But I I would like to hear more about the man who uh, oh, was oh, okay. in a need of, for example, the doll costume. Who wanted yeah, to fit totally. into? Yes, I, I was I'll like when I saw that sentence, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so very early. Um, in my career, I was working for a major um, DVD, and uh, back then we called them novelties, but now they're known as sex toys or pleasure products or novelties, whatever. Yeah, whatever they're going to call them tomorrow. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I managed the, the sex toy division, and so you know that was everything from ordering all the products and deciding what you know went on the site to sometimes stocking things in the warehouse and then when customer support would get you know a really specific question about a toy they would ask me you know how big is this that kind of thing and there was a really you know to this day it is my one of my fondest memories of handling customer support emails but a gentleman I want to say he was from Germany, but it honestly doesn't matter because this is a kink that, you know, is enjoyed by people around the world. He emailed our support team to ask what our tallest sex doll or blow-up doll was because he would like to uh, cut it open and wear it himself, right, as sort of a, a suit. 
and I, that was, that was a head scratcher, right? Because, yeah. um, <laughs> A, sex dolls are, are the, the blow up dolls in particular are not generally made to even be human sized. Like they're a little bit smaller. They're, they don't tend to, uh, I mean, honestly, even be, size. <laughs> yeah, like you wouldn't even, you know, I don't know this, like it, it, it's, it's an impossible question, but then, okay. So I really wanted, you know, obviously I'm going to go above and beyond. So I'm like, okay, uh, let me contact some manufacturers. Okay. <laughs> Let's see, you know, um, yeah. what they have to say. Yeah, they probably exactly. know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think they have to be surprised also by your questions. I go, wow. Okay. The question, perhaps, but they should at least have the specs. So <laughs> I, um, I believe he was asking about a doll in particular. I don't recall which one it was, but I'm almost positive that it was uh, manufactured by Doc Johnson. So I reached out to a contact there and asked, hey, how tall is this doll? And also, what is your tallest doll? And kind of explained the question. And they said, oh, let me get, let me get back to you. So. Went back, found out that doll was only about five, two or three, but they recommended a particular doll that was molded, I think, after Chasey Lane, who uh, I hope a lot of people still remember. She was an amazing porn star because Chasey herself was actually quite tall. I mean, you know, I guess five, seven, five, eight. And so they made the doll kind of to be as tall as she was. And he thought that was his best bet for finding a tall doll. So I said, okay, we have a recommendation. We carry that doll. It's still not going to be tall enough for this guy. And so I was kind of just racking my brain and said, okay, look, here's, here's what I found out. And also, um, given the material, you may be able to find like a bicycle tire patching kit where you could extend Oh. You know, like cut off the feet and then like patch yeah. around and then Creative. kind of make it big enough. Yeah, maybe. I hope it worked out. I never heard back from him, huh. but I, I I like to hope that he was a satisfied doll customer after that. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious what he needed it for. And yeah, is it like you know, sexual oh, use prank? That I mean, I know that there are folks who just sort of wear doll masks. That's not necessarily sexual, but mm. you know, I mean, I mean, there are why so not? many fetishes and so many kings, you know, that I I probably know only of few. And I, I remember when I started working in the industry, also, like, okay, I'm like, you know, from a very Catholic background. So when I started working here in Amsterdam, in, in a company that was producing porn, that is producing porn still, I was like, Okay, I knew nothing about sex. I mean, as much as I learned during biology classes, you know, because we didn't talk about those things. <laughs> and then, you know, and then I have heard of all those like fetishes for now. Now for me, it's pretty normal thing. Someone tells me this, I'm like, oh yeah, I have heard of that. But by then, like 10, you know, 12 years ago now, it's like, you know, it, it was like, I don't know, balloon fetish, peeing fetish. Sure. Oh, yeah. I, know, I was also surprised by feet fetish, of course. Yes, because it was like, feet? You know, so simple thing, you know. And that, to be honest, that's the one fetish I still can't wrap my brain around. Because, like, 
like I get most other things. The feet fetish. Yeah, the feet fetish. <laughs> I don't quite get it. And I and I, I respect it. I love foot fetishes. They're, you know, an incredible patron of our industry. And I uh, have no, I don't like feel squicky about feet fetishes, but it's the one thing that I'm like, I can't imagine. I can't get into the headspace. Yeah. Yeah, there are still, like, it looks, uh, for me, sometimes it's really hard to get to the headspace of other people with their um, specific or special um, sexual pleasures and what they need to get sexually aroused. But I'm, like, very uh, curious and always, like, trying to keep an open mind to know that, okay, well, everyone has sex in a different way. And I think, you know, adult industry, it's the place where those things uh, can get explored more and more. And I think we can show it on the screen and then people can feel like, oh, there is a representation of something I like. I can see exactly. it on the screen. So, you know, and they can enjoy it and they can feel more like, oh, it's, I'm not so weird. There are other people who are doing those things also, you know? So, yeah. And, it's so know, important. Yes, it is. It is. But, Alison, tell me a little bit more about the place where you were growing up and how was it for you? So, you know, like family-wise, intimacy in the family. You know, I, I grew up in a, I would say, no longer Catholic family. Right. So, so certainly, you know, I, I went to a couple of years of Catholic school and then my mom pulled me out and I don't know that either of my parents had ever been practicing, but you know, family. Mm. And really by the time I was cognizant of, of religion, really, they were both kind of like, nah, it's not real. My dad mm. would call the Bible the greatest work of fiction ever written and say, well, it could be more readable, but I know what you're saying, Dad. Um, so, yeah, for me, you know, what I do or, of course, you know, I became interested in all this stuff as a teenager. Not that I was like, hey, Mom and Dad, let me tell you about what I read in the Dan Savage column uh, this week. But, you know, it was a very accepting kind of household. I never, I was really lucky in that you know, when I decided, oh yeah, I'm going to open my own sex toy business. My parents were like, that's great. <laughs> and then a, a little less lucky when my mom was like, oh, let me make an order. And I'm like, oh, haha, okay. <laughs> but even now I'm kind of like, well, you know, everybody's got to get a good deal too. I mean, mm -hmm. hey. yeah, no, no, of course, of course. I think it was yeah, really no. cool, like from your mom, let, let make it hundred percent. No. And, and so my parents are actually uh, super great with what I do. They've always been super supportive. Uh, when I worked for kink.com, you know, my parents are, are from the Midwest. So when they came out to visit me in San Francisco, or at least my mom did, uh, I got to take her on a tour of the armory. Mm -hmm. It was a whole lot can of fun. Can you tell me what's the armory? The armory was a building that, uh, kink.com owned between about 2007 to about 2017 i'm not sure the exact mm. uh, years but it was a former national guard armory that had been sitting abandoned in san francisco for a number of years and i believe the overall square footage was something in the 200,000 square foot range so it was it was enormous uh 
basement for, you know, there were, there were four or five-ish floors. The entire basement uh, was made up of over 30 cinematic sets that were built by our in-house um, set department that a giant shop. There was, you would not be able to tell the difference between these sets and a Hollywood set. They were really amazing. And, you know, sort of the armor cool. itself. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. The armor itself was built over top of a natural underground stream known as the Mission Creek. Um, oh. Presumably because it was a military uh, installation. So you could actually go into our basement and see the Mission Creek, which was a whole lot of... Actually, it was really gross. Like... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you wouldn't want to drink it that's but it was it was cool that it was there um less cool when it flooded which it did every time it rained um no heat no air conditioning because it's a yeah reproduction of a moorish castle yeah but um just a really weird fun incredible place to work uh yes, at the top yeah. you know several floor well one through three or so were kind of mostly offices and or um <clears throat> they used to be, I guess you wouldn't call them barracks, but, but they were like officers' quarters. So okay. if performers came from out of town, they could basically stay in our little, I don't know, um, the, the B &B, play, yeah, yeah, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the upper floor, uh, the fourth floor, was, was actually styled as an Edwardian mansion. And so, I mean, it had everything, you know, the tin ceilings, the brocade wallpaper. Uh, it was a really, really cool place. And I think, you know, if people wanted to see pictures, they could go literally to theupperfloor.com. Um, but yeah, yeah, just a. And Super. it was like either were there any offices where you guys just were working as a, you know po post processing the footage, uh, paperwork, I don't know like whatever you do else on the computer, and also a shoot places where all the shoots were happening. Yep. So the first and third floors were mostly where the offices were. Um, originally, all of the all of the staff for the most part were all on the the first floor, and then. Um, you know, as the company grew, we needed more space, so we renovated the third floor a bit. But, you know, the technology team, the marketing department, uh, the editors, and um, all the post-production folks, plus the production folks, they had to have somewhere to sit when they weren't shooting. Mm -hmm. um, most of the filming was done in the basement in, on one of those sets, but there were, you know, obviously the upper floor, there were shoots up there all the time, plus, like, a couple little spots around the building um, that were sets as well, because it's amazing how many nooks and crannies you have in a, in a giant castle like that. Yes, yeah. So you could, you know, be walking to the employee lounge to get a, an espresso, and, you know, often, depending on what floor you're on, you know, you could run into a model, you know, in the hallway. I met a variety of them, and often you have to help people deal with this espresso machine because it was like a restaurant, you know, quality yeah, one. Yeah. And I had to be taught how to use it a bunch of times. And so when people would come in, be like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I have that too often. <laughs> I was like, 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah, I need sometimes information about like copy machines because here oh at home gosh. we just have just small espresso that's it but <laughs> where you go something's like oh fuck or do a portion how does it work you know just one coffee simple coffee <laughs> oh yeah how much can you put in there how do you yeah. chance it how yes. hard which, which cup oh, do you so take because sometimes they have like three different sizes and what if i put the wrong one and it floats out of the cup and it's like shit so oh, yeah yes. yeah yeah i know the pain <laughs> <laughs> the fear and uh, how did you get into selling your own sex well not your own but selling the sex toys because i guess you were taking buying them from someone someone and reselling oh, yeah. or did you produce them by yourself no that would have been cool but i am not <laughs> that talented or knowledgeable um so where i grew up in uh, pittsburgh pennsylvania we did not have sort of the sex positive kind of what they would have termed like woman friendly sort of sex tour stores. It was um, literally the name of the store is adult Mart. Okay. And it's a very large, you know, box that type store, or you'd have like places downtown that were, you know, small and had been there a long time and were not the friendliest places to go. And so, uh, my partner, Karen, uh, my business partner, Karen, and I met in college and we both had a secret dream of opening up, you know, the Pittsburgh Good Vibrations style store. Okay. And on the 30th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, uh, we actually decided, all right, we're going into business together. We are business partners and we, you know, did the paperwork, I set up the website and um off we were so in order to mm -hmm. buy these sex toys to sell them yes we had to figure out you know who are the the product distributors mm -hmm. nearby and we're lucky on the east coast there are two um there's east coast news and um trans world news which i didn't understand why they were called that it is a historical thing where they would be called whatever it is news because they didn't want to be busted for obscenity uh, okay. for selling, I don't know, whatever. That's why they call them novelties as well. They're not okay. for, News, they're just to yeah, look yeah. at. It's yeah, just a yeah. funny, <laughs> a dick <Yeah>. straw. <laughs> so we set up those, those relationships and ordered our first, like, Went through the catalogs and okay we're gonna pick out the best that toys. must have been fine going for, through the catalog also super fun however catalogs can be deceiving and mm. so we're like you know you're paging through and I'm like oh let's get this and we and we we picked up these two what we thought were maybe like five inch like green sort of you know just very plain dildos that look yeah. nice we get them and they are maybe seven to nine inches long much bigger than we thought. Shit. Looked totally different. And that's when we learned about jelly smell. What's the jelly smell? So back then, and probably you can still find them, um, it was not, it, it was very, very common for, for dildos, especially the ones that, that are kind of like clear, like mm -hmm. yeah, clear-ish. Yeah. yeah. And they would call them jelly. And, and what they were telling you was that they were like a, a crappy material. They, they probably contained what are called phthalates, 
Okay. Which I think were even banned in Europe at that mm-hmm. time, but it took the U.S. quite a while mm. to come around. And they just, they smell awful. They smell like, not quite burning rubber, but yeah. chemicals. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And they get slimy because they're leaching chemicals uh. out of them. It's uh. quite disgusting. So it was very educational. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. And apparently you were, you started doing, when you were selling the vibrators, Oh, wait, novelties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> novelties. Ellen, uh, you also did some workshops with people? Oh, Is yeah. That so, correct? Yeah, it's really oh, common uh, in, yeah. in the U.S. The zoning laws are made so that essentially people can keep businesses they don't like away from their homes or schools so there are laws that really? say if you have an adult, oh yeah, if you have an adult business, it has to be at least a thousand feet from a school, a church, a bar, another adult business. It's a whole list. And it turned out that in Pittsburgh, that meant you could literally be in an old warehouse next to the river. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. So we couldn't find like a space that we could actually open up shop. So what we did was uh, in-home parties. So you would book us, we would come to your house with a big suitcase full of toys. It turned out that, you know, and I'm sadly, I don't know, this isn't still the case, but a lot of people aren't taught much about their own anatomy or how, Mm. how it works. Yeah, And so we ended up doing kind of a lot of educational stuff like, okay, here's the clit and here's where these things are and mm-hmm. this kind of thing you might want to use for this. But if you have pleasure, you know, that you, that isn't clit focused, here are these G spot perhaps things or just figuring out ways to um, let people know what they can experiment with, where they might try to use these things and how, and then they can, you know, actually look and touch and see the thing obviously we're not Mm. selling the floor models or the the demo models yeah but yeah so we'd show up sell you sex toys at your house and then um that was how we did it yeah but you know and as you say it was very educational and for many people you know and i think till today now still people uh, keep learning in different ways like it's sometimes bizarre ways well for me as i'm saying like for me it was like i got into adult industry working in this company and then i'm like oh okay uh, let's have a conversation about sexual pleasure yes let's communicate i think the aspect of communication was one of the biggest things that i kind of you know figured out i, I became more open to talk about this yeah. and uh it became very easy for me to vocalize what I like, what I don't like, what I would like to try. Uh, it became easier for me to ask questions like this to my partner. So, you know, but I I, I still know that uh, there are many people who are not uh, who are not talking openly about sexual pleasure in the relationship. I'm not saying going to random people outside there and talk about this. It's just within relationship or being honest with yourself, what you like or trying to experimenting. Because, uh, you know, like when I was growing up, uh, touching yourself, masturbation, like that w- 
no, 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 no. You you don't do yeah. those things. That's not healthy. That's God forbid, you know, all these things. And so I had very bad relationship with uh, understanding what I like sexually with my own sexual pleasure, you know. So it took me long time to actually uh, learn and to change it to go yeah, on the other I mean, side of like, oh, actually, it's okay to touch yourself, you know? It's so, even great. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but you know what I mean, you know? It's Absolutely. so weird that we're growing up in all those, like, restrictions. But also, when you go to the other side now, like, when you have everything so easily available, that may also be a little bit too much, or we may interpret this badly, you know, like with yeah. pornography, you know? Should pornography be, be free? Yeah. Should pornography yeah. be free? Like, how can we protect the, let's say, the kids from watching it without really understanding what they consume? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, that's a, a lot of, of really important subject matter in there, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. communication, we're not taught even that, well, when we're being taught that sex is dirty and shameful and God hates it, unless you're married to a yeah. person of the opposite gender, um, you know, we internalize that. We internalize that shame. And so we don't understand our bodies. We don't know what we like. And then, you know, the culture is moving in, in a direction where it is very easy to find porn or there are lots of, of sex shops you can go to, but mm -hmm. if you are coming from a place where you're not sure about any of it, walking into that, you know, whether it's walking to watching a video that you, you know, you don't know anything about yeah. or a store, it can be really overwhelming. And when it's just like, here's all the things you can use on yourself. You're like, I don't even know where to put that. Yeah. Yeah. To do. You know, it, it's, we're not, doing a very good job as a society of helping people understand sexual pleasure, accept it, love it. Yeah. And, and, and understand how to do it better, you know, how to communicate with a partner. Mm. That's just not a thing anybody teaches. And so I, what this, what really disappoints me is that as these changes, you know, in society where things are really available, there's free porn everywhere. The at least in the US, the culture has gotten very recently very, very conservative about that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. you know, sex education has mm -hmm. been banned. Mm -hmm. Essentially. You know, I was really lucky when I was growing up because when I went to school, we had like a, a nonprofit organization locally that came in and actually talked mm -hmm. to us about sex and condoms mm -hmm. and but all the things you actually need to know. Mm -hmm. And that put me on a good footing. Mm -hmm. It, you know, I, I was able to protect myself and have pleasure and, you know, be a, a well-adjusted person for the most part. But if we just don't teach kids anything or we teach them that everything is bad and pornography is yeah. addictive and, you know, it, it, it really kind of screws you up. Mm. 
and there isn't a good way. I mean, there are lots of, there are lots of places you can go to learn, but you have to know about them, right? Like, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you could go to, you know, check out O school or, but if, if you, if you are just new to this whole thing, the first thing you're probably going to do is go to something like Pornhub and yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's fairly advanced. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what's your, um, take on porn being available for free? Like, you know, I was, I was in the industry when that started. So mm-hmm. kind of the early mid two thousands and I am not a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, it's not to say that porn wasn't free before then. There was mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, people have to entice you or explain, show you what you were buying when you were about to buy porn. That's fine. Whatever. But the rampant piracy and essentially the change in the mind of a consumer that, oh, porn isn't something I should pay for, mm. destroyed the industry. Mm. It put many, many, many businesses into bankruptcy. It hurt everyone in the industry from, you know, of course the people who, who own the studios, but like the performers who are in your porn, they need to get paid. That's not free. Yeah. yeah. Every person on that crew, the videographer, the PAs, the director, the folks who are doing the post-production and editing, like these are real jobs and mm. essentially yes. their work was completely devalued and many of them lost jobs. Mm. And frankly, it it made it easy for not just adults who didn't want to pay for it, but kids to see it. So Exactly. If I had a time machine, yeah, I might go go back and. But do you think it will change? You know, like do you do you think what 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 uh, we as the producers, as people who are in the industry, should do to change it? Because I also think it's not great that there is free porn. I mean. And I, even on Twitter, sometimes I see a lot of different clips which are so explicit. I'm like, why would you put this for free? I mean, wouldn't you prefer that uh, people don't see it for free, but they actually go to your website, pay for it, and then see it? Like, where is the logic behind it? And I so I, I wonder if it's like, if, for example, if the performers would be getting the royalties from all the footage, would that also change their way of like, you know, okay, I'm not going to put anything for free because if they actually go to that website, buy the product, I get the royalties. So, you know, it's like a circle that's encouraging itself. But what what's your take on like, I mean, what do you think? Is it possible to at some point to get rid of this free porn and to um, what steps we would have to take? I think, unfortunately, the economic incentives are not there, at least. And what, what incentives for, do you have in mind? Sorry. So for an individual producer, let's say I, um, I'm a creator and I make my own porn with my friends and then I post it on OnlyFans and then I put it on Pornhub because I want people to know about it because that's where people go. Mm -hmm. 
the reason that I'm doing that is because there aren't a lot of other places to get traffic from to to entice new buyers and being banned on most social media platforms true the the difficulty of kind of like setting up your own um allisonporn.com let's say Mm. if i had a website it's a big hurdle and it's expensive and so you are a bit trapped because the way that the industry has moved all of the eyeballs are on a porn hub or, or a different tube site and so in order to sell your porn at all you have to play this game and what it what i think it would take would be you know every single producer saying nope we're not going to do this anymore but it might be too late because now the people who own the biggest tubes also own the biggest studios. Mm, yeah, exactly. So it's it's um it's unfortunate, but I don't know if there's a way to undo it. Mm. And also, you know, um, still people are so much unaware of um, different production companies that uh, this sell very, in my opinion, very good. Uh, quality-wise porn and also the production-wise, so ethically produced porn, uh, they sell it, they they have websites set up and all the system in place, they don't give away any content for free unless it's stolen, you know, then yeah, that's another story. Uh, but still, people don't know about those sites. The, yeah. the first thing that people come across, it's Pornhub, it's yeah, OnlyFans, yes, because this is what we talk about often, what we hear all the time. And, you know, when you type in Google some questions about sex, videos from Pornhub pop up as first, you know. That's all oh, X-Hamster, X, um, X, X yeah. videos. Yes. I mean, yeah. they're humongous. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's a bit on Google because mm. they, I don't know what they did to make the legitimate porn sites rank low and these mostly yeah. they're they're bad tubes a lot of the time like sketchy pirate tubes that come up you know they used adult companies and and producers are barred from using most other forms of marketing and advertising we mm-hmm. we can no longer advertise on google we can't advertise on almost any website so the places where you can market your product are very, very limited. Yeah, and you have to be very secretive about it. If you do it, like, you know, I, uh, if I, like when I was placing some ads on uh, social media, we really had to go like, okay, do not use the word porn, change it for adult industry. Do not use the word sex because that's also not good. Um, and there are several other things, you know, and, and it just gets banned or like the content doesn't reach many people because, you know, like sometimes you see it, you post something and you're like, okay, it has such a little amount of views. What the heck? Yeah. And then, like a shadow band. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it jumps, you know, it goes up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and it's very, very frustrating. And did you, I mean... I, I came across two, I think, two companies that are trying to uh, 
or to businesses that are trying to create something like a social media platform, but for uh, people who do an do have an explicit content. Uh, do you think those companies have a chance to, um, well, in some way, at least take over? Because I think it's super hard, you know? It is, and and it got a lot harder in 2018 mm. when the U.S. passed SESTA-FOSTA. Can you tell me more about that for anyone who... So the law in the U.S. prior to that was that you can op operate a social media platform or any website, really. And when people come onto it and post their own comments, speech, videos, whatever it is that, that your users are posting on your website, you're not liable for that. That's them. And, you know, if they do something bad, well, you should definitely report them to the police, but it's, you're not going to jail because someone came on your website and did something wrong. And what Sesta Fosta did was say, yeah, but if it promotes sex work, which we define as trafficking, but if it promotes that, now you don't have that exception. Now the government is going to come after you because you are essentially aiding in a trafficking conspiracy by letting your users be sex workers. So sex workers have been, it was never easy, but now completely deplatformed because no company wants the risk of the federal yeah. government prosecuting them. So if, as Twitter, uh, has disintegrated in the couple of weeks now that Elon Musk has owned it. You know, I think there's been a lot of conversation around, you know, what could, what could we do to make sure that, you know, sex workers aren't totally deplatformed or have another place mm -hmm. to go. And it's dangerous to do it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not but easy. Do you, do you think like uh, Elon taking over uh, Twitter, will that be? any better for um, people who post adult content who do sex work or rather the opposite? Or maybe there will be no change. I think, well, he has talked about trying to introduce OnlyFans style functionality, which is ridiculous. But I'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think that everybody on Twitter is probably uh, in the same boat here, which is that the, when you fire most of the staff who keep the website running, mm. the experience is going to degrade, and it's unclear to me if Twitter is going to be good for anyone mm. going yeah. forward. Yeah. But the reason I particularly scoff at this idea of Twitter-only fans is that I doubt very highly that Elon Musk has thought about the things that all adult businesses know they have to do. For example, I don't know that he's given thought to how he's going to comply with 2257 regulations or how he's going to ensure that none of the content being posted doesn't violate Visa and MasterCard's rules or their unwritten BRAM rules, which is 
don't post anything that Visa MasterCard would make them look bad, mm. which is its own. Like bizarre, nest. because how do you define like what makes you bad? Yeah. 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 And they can be cherry picking because, oh, it just, they fall into this category. They made us look bad. Well, then. It happens mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that people underestimate how difficult payments are. So it's, if I want mm -hmm. someone to pay me for a product that I'm selling, that's fairly easy. I just set up a merchant account. Yes. They, they buy a thing. I get paid. When you're talking about people paying you and then you paying the thousands and tens of thousands of people who then, you know, get a cut of that, that's hard. Mm. That's difficult. Now we're talking about, you know, not it's just the functionality, but money laundering laws, uh -huh. which are also very tight and can be problematic if there's any whiff of like, someone says, oh, well, this is actually going to a trafficker. So, like it's that, just <sighs> so if uh, royalties would be in place, this would be kind of applicable thing or law to look to, yes? The money laundering law. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really difficult mm. to deal with money. There are yes. lots of laws in every country and... It gives me a headache and I don't yeah. even deal with payments very much anymore. And just the idea that you would have thousands of people that you have to verify their age, that they are the ones in the content, mm -hmm. that they, you have to now store all of their personal information because you verified their age. You now have a copy of their IDs, their legal names, and you have to pay them somehow. I just, okay. I don't see it. Yeah, I have heard that, like... I, I have listening to a talk and they said about that implementing those royalties that will be incredibly hard and now I understand why um, and you know I also remember my experience of opening a bank account you know like all oh, getting a loan for the house uh -huh. actually some banks banned I mean straight in my face actually they said well you work in adult industry so therefore uh, we cannot it's too risky for us to give you a loan I'm like, how the fuck is this too risky it's i mean the netherlands it sex works is legal you know it's like <laughs> come on what's going on and so uh, it was really hard you know and i asked a lawyer i'm like can they do this can they uh, deny me alone uh, for the house just because of the my place of work, which is legitimate place of work? And she back then she said, no, they cannot. That's illegal for them to do it. But, you know, I was like, I'm not going to run and sue them. I'll just find different banks. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, and we're talking about Netherlands where some of those things are um, accepted. You know, I'm not saying they are legal, but they are accepted. Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's I mean, still very hard a it's a really really significant problem around mm -hmm. the world and for everybody in every part of the industry yeah. you know if you're think, a performer it's really bad if you're a sex worker and if you're just a maybe you work for a company if yeah. they figure out your bank figures out that you're being paid by a known pornographer unfortunately you could lose your bank account yeah yeah exactly
And same with PayPal, like they take all your money if they figure out that you do anything related to adult industry. Whatever money you have there, they will just skip it. You have to be especially concerned when you're using um, any kind of app like PayPal, Stripe, uh, Venmo, all of those things, because they're not even operating under the same rules as a bank. Mm-hmm. Like the bank has to at least give you your money back when they close your account. Mm-hmm. Those companies don't. And so your your funds are very unsafe, you know, if you're using sort of a peer-to-peer um, money transfer app. And and frankly, that's like one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest things that I'm working on with the Free Speech Coalition, where I'm working now, is trying to address that. Like, it mm-hmm. is discrimination, it is unfair, and we have to, you know make sure that legislators are aware of it, explain that, honestly, if, if you want to stop sex trafficking, not allowing legal sex workers access to banks is a very, very bad yeah. way to do it. Yes, yeah. It's like they want to also, like, you know, banning sex work, yes? Like, this is not going to resolve anything. It will be actually even worse for people who decide to get into it. Because, you know, I'm thinking, it's like, okay, we we can the, when we are like okay in Europe, well each country is different, but more or less eighteen years old you can decide for yourself. You can do twenty one years old or eighteen. I don't know in US I think maybe it's twenty one. It's eighteen, yeah. Yeah, eighteen. Oh, okay, well then mm-hmm. eighteen years old. You, you can't decide. drink, but you can be in porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the age of consent, that's another bizarre thing, mm. you know. In some countries, you can consent to having sex, not in front of the camera, but having sex at age of like 14 or 15. That's legal for you to consent to. But appearance in adult films, it has to be at least 18 years old. And I'm like, and then you tell, you know, about alcohol, 21 years old. I'm like, but what is the age that actually a person can uh, meaningfully make a decision? Because, you know, if you consider the brain development part, it's yeah. all this cortex part of the brain. It's apparently, it needs, you, you have to be around 25 years old for it to be fully developed or something, something similar to 25 yeah, years like old. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, can you make decisions before that than 25 years old? Or you shouldn't, you know? And why there are all those different age categories for having sex, appearing in front of the camera, <laughs> drinking, you know, Zach? So yeah, I mean, if any of it were logical, I mean, I don't think it would look the way it does. Mm. But there's also, you know, there are very conservative values that say you can't even question that. Like, asking yeah. that question would freaks people out and all I you're know. saying is hey science yeah and i'm asking question i just would like to know and maybe if we have a conversation on this topic we can learn something from each other and do you think um you know because obviously now uh, there is a lot of talk also about porn being educational mm-hmm. um and do you think porn can be educational and if yes how do we do it? Or do we at all go this direction? This one I probably shouldn't answer. Just because... Um, Is that the question, the hard question? <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's see. I have, a, I have an opinion on it, but mm-hmm. 
I I don't I do know that I could get uh, quoted by Nicosi or one of the bad things saying that sec or porn is educational and we should give it to children and they're they've been doing well, that lately. Yeah, but you know I don't think so. We should give it. This is the thing. I I mean, there I I think you may get inspired by porn. In your like when you have sex with someone, you saw something, maybe let's give it a try. But I think pornography is not showing everything that happens before the shoot. You know, like we don't see yeah. those convert that's why I said that I was actually lucky to be working in adult industry, seeing everything what happens behind the scenes. Because then you see those conversations with the performers. If it's a good company, they will have a conversation about consent, paperwork, STI testing, all that jazz. But you don't see it on in in the in the films, yes. And right. sometimes those films are they don't have to be the exact way how we have sex, uh, you know, at home. Like sometimes it's a fantasy. Well, well that's the thing. I think that you know, as an industry, we've really we really try to sell the fantasy when that's great. And, and, you know, everybody should be able to do that. But I also think you're right that having the experience of being on a set really did shape how I feel about um, what porn really is, because it's not, this isn't a documentary, right? Mm, exactly. This isn't, you know, how sex works and what, I was really hoping to do at some point, but didn't get a chance yet was to make more documentary style mm -hmm. porn. Because for me, I thought it was really good to know like what all the circumstances were surrounding the production, like yeah. knowing that people are having those conversations and seeing, you know, between a scene, you know, we're doing aftercare. Mm. We're putting on a robe. Everybody's kind of checking in. Mm. Like, let's get some snacks. And I think, you know, knowing a, it makes you feel a little better knowing that, like, oh yes, this this is a uh, good labor conditions. I don't have to worry mm. about that. Check. But also, I think it's a lot more real um, when you see people a little bit outside of the performance space. Mm. That isn't for everyone, and certainly not every mm. performer would want to be involved in that. But you know, there, there is a real, I think, need to show sex in all of its mm. facets, you know, and, and it's not, you know, always what looks great on camera. Mm. And I think there have been lots of people who have tried to varying degrees of success, you know, but it's not caught on in sort of a mainstream way. So the money isn't there always. But mm. I think definitely for for adults getting to see what sex really looks like, what mm. it actually means, mm. and get inspired to do things. But maybe, you know, in a little bit more of a naturalistic way where it's they show you what it takes to do anal. Yeah, exactly. Holy and crap. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking that it's just so easy to like you, you just slide in, you just pop it in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> without and asking. You just no loop, no asking. You just pop it in. <laughs> no, yeah. 
Like, but definitely not. <laughs> this is, and I, I, you know, I sometimes wonder how um, much it's it's in the responsibility of the producer. It, does it make sense to influence the values that we show on uh, on the screen, or is it more ide- idealistic uh, approach? Because it really interesting question one I've basically struggled with for 20 years. Mm, mm. It's hard to say that it's anyone's particular job to, you know, not do what they're doing, right? Mm. Well, there are certain people who shouldn't be doing what they're doing. But that's because they're abusing people and not because they're making porn in a way that is too uh, fantasy-oriented. I wish that there were more market incentives to make porn where i mean even just showing hey everybody uses lube you're not less than because you use lube there's nothing about your body that isn't uh producing enough juices you just use lube it it makes everything better and uh more comfortable it's great use lube but it's not you know it's not sort of in the fantasy realm nobody shows that kind of thing and also you know like getting into that space of like yeah. okay like you know sex doesn't happen within five seconds it actually takes a little bit of effort to have pleasure for everyone involved so you know and we don't see this yeah and no. i'm not saying it's wrong look i'm not saying it's no wrong yeah that's the thing. I, this is the thing with the values like i uh there are different forms of sexual pleasures yes and some people will find some forms too extreme for them and that's fine and you know but then i'm thinking it's like shall we just care more about the values that we put in you know like how we present women or different like different people how we present them on the screen but then again you know if we have like a domination scene well it's how it is you know it's 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 a domination scene (laughs) yeah yeah you know so and things aren't always how they look you know, it can seem like somebody is in extreme pain, but and they may or may not be, to be honest. Yeah. You know, at, at Kink, you know, on our hogtide set, it looks like a, a wooden floor. It looks rough, and there, you know, mm. people would be kneeling on it. And then, okay, you know, for that reason, but that was actually a, a foam floor, ah. <laughs> so that it wouldn't hurt people's knees too bad. Ah, that's good. There's a little bit of movie magic, but and you know. There are people who are making really great representative porn. The first name that comes to mind is Pink and White. Shine Louise Houston and Jizzly, I think mm-hmm. they are definitely more on the, the side that we're talking about, which is a diversity of people and kinds of pleasure and showing, you know, more of the reality of it. And then, you know, they're sort of on the other side of that spectrum, like super glossy you know, sex on a hotel pool roof or whatever it is. And there's places for both of those things. Mm -hmm. But, and of course there's like dungeons because Mm -hmm. if many people like that fantasy, but not a lot of us have created a, you know, medieval dungeon set in Mm -hmm. our home because we like Mm -hmm. it that much. But that's cool (laughs) that people get to see that. It's fun, right? And, you know, you try to create, 
BDSM scenes that are a lot more domestic. Like, what yeah. could you do in your own house? Yeah. Especially if you rent your apartment and can't install eye bolts in your ceiling, for example. Yeah, yeah. or hang someone um, on your ceiling, you know, right? in cage. It's, uh-huh. it's difficult. It's expensive. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's a whole spectrum of, yeah. of ways of portraying sex and especially to go back to the idea of tubes and free porn, a lot of the folks who are, are doing things that are not, I don't know, the glossy or just very basic mainstream quote unquote content aren't really participating in that forum and don't want to for very good reasons. But then it's, you know, there isn't an excellent way to find them. Mm. Mm. Unfortunately. Mm. You know, I, I look at it like also like when we see different forms of sexual pleasure, some more extreme, let's say, in porn. And um, I look to it like this, that... <laughs> You know, when you go to mainstream cinema, you're watching Mat- Matrix on a big screen. You're not going to repeat that jump of the roof or, you know, jump over through the wall. It's mm-hmm. a fantasy, you know, it's not something you go like, you're not going to repeat that at that point, you know, like as soon as you leave the cinema. Same with porn, you know, not always everything that you see is directed that you're just going to repeat and do it. There is like, you know, a little bit more safety around that ask questions etc um but what in your opinion what values are out of the i mean shouldn't be shown on the screen or forms of sexual um well let's say pleasure but i don't know if then would would be pleasure <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sexual experiences let's say so, yes, sexual know, experiences that's good one I am personally, and this is me speaking for myself, not any of my former employers or current employers, but personally, I am a very, um, as long as you are not hurting someone in a, a way that they do not consent to, or a kid or a dog, you know, like, there's no animals, no kids, a really basic, like, respect consent, and as long as everybody kind of wants to be as long as everybody wants to be doing it, I don't actually see a problem with portraying it. Mm-hmm. It may not even be something I would be comfortable watching because it would make me feel crappy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we can we can decide that some fantasies are better than others. I think our problem is that when people see porn, they don't recognize that it is a fantasy and there is movie magic. And it's a real problem now, mm-hmm. especially, you know, after the big scandal around Pornhub and, and the yeah. claims that they were showing, you know, they were, they were leaving up abuse material. If you simply look at a movie and right, it's the matrix. You're not going to say, oh man, I hope that person, I mean, they clearly were very grievously injured. Yeah. You know, but when people watch porn and they see something, you know, like a BDSM scene or something that's a little rougher than they personally are comfortable with, they assume that what's happening on screen accurately portrays what's happening, which is not the case. 
you know, I think we had very extreme appearing scenes and certainly extreme scenes, but you only do those with people who like that. Mm -hmm. It's not even very fun or sexy if someone's like, oh, I really hate being tied up and having these nipple clamps on. Like, it, it doesn't make for a good scene. Mm -hmm. But there isn't, like, a, there isn't an understanding in the general public that, and it comes back to education, I think, that this is, this is a movie. It's not a documentary. It's not, you can't assume anything about the way it was made or the people involved just by watching it. It's not the instruction for you to go and do it, you know? It's certainly not that either. <laughs> no, exactly. And just, do you think um, people can consent to bodily harm? Define bodily harm. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, I'm thinking sometimes MMA, yeah? People mm -hmm, go punch mm -hmm. each other and fuck, that's bodily harm, yes? <laughs> yeah. And then in porn... Um, you will have spanking, yes, let's say choking, or some more extreme uh, breath play, some more extreme uh, uh, fetishes or kinks. Um, and I wonder, like, can people consent to that? Well, I, I from my limited understanding, uh, there is a lot of precaution taken when it comes to king scenes and different fetishist scenes um, and there is a lot of involvement a lot of talk about consent how to do it right what's the slowing down word what's the uh, stopping word you know safe words or safe touch I guess because mm -hmm. sometimes you may be gagged and you cannot really say a word <laughs> so how yeah. do you indicate say <laughs> stop something um, but yeah I, I just I, I have heard that a few times from a, flu a few lawyers and I don't know what to think about this. Is there a limit what we do on the sets and uh, how to define it? You know, I, I've asked myself that a lot as well, you know, and I think that, <clears throat> so I, I used to play contact sports. I was never an MMA fighter but I played rugby for a long time mm -hmm. and anybody who plays contact sports or, you know, boxes or whatever will tell you it's a lot of fun. And yes, how dare anyone yes. assume that you don't, you're not able to consent to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in general, I think people can consent to a lot. Um, as long as they are, are fully informed about, you know, the risks involved in what they're doing, like mm -hmm. as the first story I told was a guy hanging from meat hooks from the ceiling. Like, yeah, that was performed by a professional who knew how to do that safely and on a person who desired it and um, was able to handle it. I would not personally would like, you know, like to have meat hooks stuck into my back. So mm. I wouldn't consent to that. Right. Mm. So when, when I, I worked for kink, I was really impressed by just watching filming because what you're not seeing is how much care is going into paying attention to those little cues. I mean, we had very specific and you can still find them. Uh, if you go to kink.com slash consent, very specific rules. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody's 
fingers are getting too cold and blue, that means that their circulation is being cut off. That's dangerous. Mm. And you never, ever want to put someone in, in danger. Mm. So maybe that, there's the line, right? You can't consent to being put in a dangerous position that could like injure you in a, a way that can't be fixed. Yep. Um, that's why you don't do neck, you know, ties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, it's we, also, yeah. Well, we chose not to even, even if, you know, there are very skilled people who could do, you know, a tie around the neck that would not necessarily, like, it wouldn't be holding weight and therefore it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't actually put that person in danger. But in a lot of, in most circumstances, we said, you know, let's just not even show that because we don't want to encourage people to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would it be irresponsible to show it? I think so. But would I mm. say it, sh it should be banned? No, I can't say that. Mm. Maybe some really information tricky. around, you know, like, I don't know. It, it's, you know, what, do you provide more information, but will people read it? Will people watch it? If someone wants to just wank off and is sexually aroused, they are not going to read some extra information. They just want to see the scene. And yeah. you know, so... How I, I think, you know, there is a place for education generally around uh, porn um, and doesn't mean showing to people pornographic scenes, but it's more about asking questions and yeah. starting an open-minded conversation with anyone, like even with kids, you know, as I'm saying, have those conversations with, I don't know what's the age what's the appropriate age for kids to start understanding those things but at some point i think it's important to have those conversations about porn about sex about being intimate intimate with another human being and instead of just saying this is bad this is wrong don't do it let's ban it mm. yeah, I mean, sex is part of what it means to be a human exactly and we can't tell people that that's wrong mm. so we exactly really ought to tell them, you know, how to do it in a way that is safe and keeps them healthy and happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, uh, what's your idea of ethical process? Well, I mean, I think that that can mean a lot of different things. And I think over the years, a lot of people um, have done it their own way. I can only speak for myself. Yeah. Um, and to me, it means that you are working with people who are of sound mind, so they're not on drugs. They're able to consent to what they're doing. They're not being pressured to do anything at all. Ideally, they are actually turned on by whatever it is they're doing in the scene. You know, if, if you are hiring someone to do an anal scene, it's better if they like anal. Mm, exactly. You know. For everyone, um, I think being fully informed about exactly what is expected, and, and I think this is you know kind of labor rights kind of stuff. But you yeah. should know what you're being hired to do ahead of time and decide whether or not that's for you. You should have the right at any point to say, you know what, I actually can't or, or don't want to do this. Can we do something else or it turns out that I'm uncomfortable with this entire scenario. I need to go. Please pay me for the 
time that I've spent. You should be able to choose who you work with. You should be able to, you know, vet the people who you are going to be placing yourself into a vulnerable situation with. That all seems really basic to me. <laughs> like yeah, table and, sticks. And as you said, like a basic labor law uh, or rules. Because, uh, yeah, I recently was talking to someone and I said, like, look, it's, it, all of this, what I'm just saying to you, which is more or less the points that you just made, um, you would expect this in any work environment. And now point out to me people who in any industry, not we're not talking now about sex industry, but out of the sex industry, point me the companies who are playing by those rules because I don't know many. I really don't. So, you know, and then people just sticking with porn because I think, I don't know why, I think maybe because it's about sex and just some people feel so ashamed about that. And, but it just speaks about them, you know, like if you're yeah, ashamed totally. of your sexuality or being intimate with another human being, I mean, I think you should dig deep into who you are and, you know, to know yourself a little bit more. Instead of attacking other people. I yeah. Agree. Yeah, definitely. And listen, because, You've been in adult industry for 20 years and you worked as a CEO of King.com. My gosh, 20 years is really a lot. <laughs> if I think like this. <laughs> and, uh, you are now an executive director of FSC. And I would like to know why are you doing all this, why you are so invested in the industry and do so much of amazing work and also what motivates you? Because it's, it's not an easy job, you know, like it's going, hitting the obstacles every single day. Well, thank you very much for the compliment. And yeah, no, no kidding. It's difficult. Um, I think there is something about me and probably a lot of the folks that I've met in this industry that drew me to it. And it's, it's not just sex because sex is great and it's a cool thing to, you know, work with for a living, but you know, it's still a job. For me, it, it's long been about a subject that people I think unfairly treat badly in our society. I think it's ridiculous that there's this anti-sex, I mean, it's a culture that hates sex, even though sex is great. So I think as a young person, I was very sort of fired up by that. Like, guys, <laughs> this is unfair and it harms a lot of people. It, it really harms everyone, but especially, you know, marginalized people, women, sexual minorities, like, it's not good for anyone. And I, you know, it's, I've long been a, an abortion rights activist. I think I just am drawn to a lot of the, maybe, maybe it's something about like the things other people don't like to touch. Mm. I'm like, ah, oh, that's too, I, I'm not squeamish. And I think that the, the rights 
to your own body, to do what you want with it, to um, create art, which, you know, porn is art. I'm sorry. <laughs> it really is. And, and the idea that, that, you know, we are classifying one type of expression, sexual expression, as different from all the others, as bad as let's ban it. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so anathema to who I am. And I think it's the same place where the abortion rights activism comes from. It's like, mm. hey, who are you to tell me what to do with my yeah. body? Yes. I completely Fuck right off. agree with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, no. Sorry, just to pop in for a second, but I have recently yeah. have heard two podcasts where, um, I don't know, maybe you came across one was with Kanye West and it, I think it's Kanye West. Yes. Yes. I think so. The Kardashian guy from, you know, and he was like going on and on about this, like, you know, how, like he's against abortion, how many kids die because of uh, abortion in US. I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like you, you have stack of money. You have, you will never ever worry about what you put on your plate. And <laughs> neither your kids or wives, you know, because you probably like, I think he has many of them. Um, and you, you know, and that's not bad to have many, like if you decide to have many partners, oh, yeah, that's fine. That, but you but... know, but it's like if, if you're so judgmental about uh, the rights, of women like you're never going to carry that child and nope. so think think about you know women who are like either forced to carry a child that's going to die as soon as she gives birth or it's bad for her health but the child is fine you in poland you're forbidden to have abortion if it's bad for you but the child is still okay oh that's so sick it's you know so I, sick. And <sighs> it's you know, they make decisions, same about sex work, and I feel like they don't involve people who are actually doing the work and don't involve, I mean, I, I even don't understand some women are just against abortion. I was like, are you like, why are you like this? Like, we, we have the right to decide about our own body. That's it, simple like this. And so I work for an abortion clinic. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in college for several years and it's not unlike porn in that people imagine something very different from what it really is when they talk about it it's people from all walks of life all ages life circumstances no one is making the choice lightly and it's not, it's not an optional choice. If that's something that you have to do, whether it's because you're physically unable, emotionally, financially, the idea that you would be forced to carry a pregnancy that you can't have is, is just so contrary to every idea of what it means to be a free person. Yes. That I, I can't even imagine. Like I can imagine why people think abortion is wrong, but I think it's mostly um, from a place of ignorance and largely a place of chosen ignorance. They don't want to know. They don't want to understand other people. They don't want to 
deal with the idea that other people are actual human beings that are just as valuable as they are. Um, and so their lives would be impacted by a pregnancy different the way from the way your own might. And that's also valid and needs to be respected. Um, I worked in all different roles at the clinic. I was front desk when people come in after being harassed by protesters. I was in the recovery room, making sure, you know, checking blood pressure, making sure people were, you know, drinking some water, giving discharge instructions. And I was in, you know, I did some coverage in the area where post-abortion, the product of conception is properly disposed of. And so I have, with my own eyes, seen an abortion and the things that are really important are always comfortable it's not it's not like a fun experience mm. but i also know that my patients were there because they had to be mm. no one just chooses this it's not a lot of fun mm. so just taking away people's fundamental human rights whether it's to sex, to abortion, just to determine their own, what happens to their own bodies. That's why, that's why I'm in this industry. Mm -hmm. I really feel like the attacks on sex and women's autonomy and, I mean, you name it, every marginalized person, mm -hmm. they often... Sex work is the, the canary in the coal mine, as they say. When they come for us, no one is there to defend us. Mm. But then, that, it doesn't stop there. Yeah. And it's important to me to be here to defend it. Because it's important to people to be mm. fully realized sexual beings. Mm. And how, what steps do you take, like, personally to... Uh, you know, I will say stay sane because you know doing hard work, doing uh, doing the work you do. As I said, it's not easy, and it takes a lot of mental effort. I mean, sometimes maybe it's fun, you know, when you have customers asking for uh, the size of the dolls. But um, you know, I think it's mentally hard. I I remember for myself, you know, uh, dealing, for example, with the performers who wanted to remove their content and each time they explained extensively why and dealing with those cases was really um, mentally hard for me. Yeah. Um, and so how do you uh, care about, take care about your mental health? How do you take care about staying, you know, sane and healthy basically? I wish I had a good answer for you. Right now I'm kind of burning at both ends mm. because um, well, because it's important and it's also an economically diff difficult time. So the FSC you know, doesn't have the resources to hire a bunch of people mm. to do all the work that needs to be done. Someday I uh, would love to take a vacation. Mm. Exercise is a good thing to do I um you know I have a punching bag 
but I could probably be taking better care of myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think exercising is super important. I'm, not, I'm actually like, I, I like if I don't go to the gym or even like we have the punching bags there actually. I wouldn't be able to hang it anything on my ceiling. So <laughs> no bag, no human hanging up there. Yeah, but uh, you know, like ex I, I need to go. At, like now, I'm a little bit sick, but generally I go like three times a week to the gym because you know, just I don't know, it helps me to cope, and yeah. I just feel better. Or going for a run or for a walk. Yeah, and, is great. Getting yeah. back into nature and away from a computer mm, yeah definitely um alison thank you very much for the talk i i think that's a good time to finish uh, the conversation here but i enjoyed it very much do you have any questions i have a thousand questions for you you oh my have goodness. a fascinating background and i know that we don't have time to ask all of them um this has been phenomenal and I really, I really appreciate how you approach topics that I don't think a lot of folks are talking about. So just one question, if you don't mind, is I don't mind at all. why do you do this? Mm. I actually was listening to your answer and I, I was thinking to myself that I can relate with this, you know, to this, what you said, because I think I just care about people. I care that everyone have their basic rights to do what they want, as long as it's not harming another human being. And uh, as everyone who is involved in it are okay with it and, you know, are consenting to it freely then uh you know i would like for people to do what they want and to not feel shame or to not be hiding with what they do to not feel like they cannot talk about important well important topics like sex but also about day-to-day -day things like their jobs you know it's like People have a lot of assumptions and I, I, I'm still sometimes, you know, jumping to assumptions. I hope less than I was doing that when I, you know, let's say 10 years ago. But I also want for people to be able to have like open-minded conversation because I feel like we're living in the cancel culture moment. Like when, whenever you have an opinion or you say something, Everyone will judge you and either you will be on their side or you won't. And if you are not, then you are the worst person ever. And I don't think that this is a, any helpful or healthy approach. We need to learn to talk about different topics with people who have different opinions. It's hard. It's hard to not get frustrated, angry, or, you know, like I, I'm the first one to be getting frustrated about the things. But then, I try to remember that everything I do, I do because I want everyone to deserve the like the basic rights, the basic right to be intimate with another human being, to enjoy their life. And I guess it's also helping me to like, you know, understand myself a little bit better. So, yeah. That's so important. Mm -hmm. um, giving a forum for people to have real conversations about difficult or disagreed on topics 
and like a safe space. It's, it's really rare and I really appreciate the work we're doing. <laughs>